It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 21st of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The government has launched the tender process for the narrow water bridge which will link the Cooley Peninsula with the Moran Mountains. Uh, the Taoiseach travelled to, to County Down on Friday to announce the news. The government have decided uh, and that we can proceed um, to go to tender uh, for the narrow water bridge uh, which has been a long-standing commitment uh, and this decision has been enabled by the Shared Island Fund uh, which we have created to develop north-south infrastructure uh, and to do so uh, with certainty over the next decade. That certainty has come about because the government will not be seeking money from the EU or from Northern Ireland for the project. Great news for all, especially when you consider how this project originally fell when County Louth County Council underestimated the cost of building the bridge last time around. Now, that meant that €18 million Euro approved by the EU was lost to the project and the millions of British pounds expected to be contributed through the Stormont Assembly was parked. So this time there is certainty. There will be no European money. There will be no money from Northern Ireland. It will be built and that is certain because the Irish government is going to pay the entire bill. How much will that be? 20 million euro? 40 million euro? Well, that's a figure that can't be confirmed just now, but in reality, the bridge could very well cost more than €40 million. Euros. The shared island money is, is, is funding this project because I, I've, in the past, it, it, the project nearly got there, depending on various channels of money, and never happened. Uh, so I'm determined this time uh, that's going to happen, uh, and that's the purpose of the shared island fund, uh, is to fund 
in, in a very straightforward way projects of this kind which will benefit um, this area and benefit the entire um, all island economy in the fullness of time and fulfil the commitments within the Good Friday Agreement. That's the Taoiseach Michal Martin speaking on Friday. Let's uh, speak to some local politicians. Rory O'Murku is a Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Mead. Fianna Fáil Senator Erin McGreen lives in uh, the Coolies and uh, they're both on the line. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Erin McGreen, first of all. Fianna Fáil is in the doldrums nationally. Louth wants a, a stronghold for support, has seen that support plummet. Uh, the last election resulted in not one Fianna Fáil TD getting uh, elected. Uh, do you think uh, that uh, this will change it? Uh, you hope uh, to be uh, the candidate uh, in the next general election uh, and... You hope to change that situation. That's the first time ever that there wasn't a Fianna Fáil TD for County Louth. Do you think, though, that this commitment to build the bridge, to fund building the narrow water bridge, is enough to buy you a seat? I think it's a very strange way to introduce a really, really positive project, um, Michael. Um, the, the government, as you said, rightly said, Michal Martin, uh, um, last Friday, came to, to, their, to our area, to the narrow water across from County Down, and announced that the tender stage would go 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 forward. That is the that is what we're we're here to speak about this morning. It's not about buying a seat, then, is it not? I, 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 if you could buy a seat, I think I think they'd be they'd be we, we'd all be able to try and trying to do that. That is not possible. Well, then what what's he at? Is it just a van? Is it just a vanity project, or, or what's the crack with this at all? Because uh, why would the Irish government uh, deliver such a, a boost to the local economy and tourism in a different jurisdiction? Well, this this is this is where we live, Michael. And as you say, you have two local politicians on this morning talking about their region. And I don't know um, if you don't if you don't consider Newry and Morn and North Loud and in in our jurisdiction. I think you're. I think you. I think you need to have a look at yourself. But anyway, what I'm talking about here this morning is a fundamental, huge project for the for the entire region of the Northeast. Right. It's going to open up the Cooley in the Morns. It's going to. And, and to be honest, Michael, this entire area has been. So you, you don't you don't recognise the state of Northern Ireland, is it? Well, who don't, I, I never said. No, you said you, you said I was mad if I thought it was in a different jurisdiction. But, but North Loud is not a jurisdiction. No, I mean, I'm talking about yeah. I'm talking about County Down. I'm talking about Northern Ireland. We're building a bridge to County Down from yeah. North Loud. They were going yeah. to give millions. We also build build roads. We also, you know, we we, have, we cooperate on a north side basis all the time, Michael. Yeah. So this isn't a massive. No, I know. But the last time around, they were going to give us three point six million euro. The cost the last of last time around. That 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 is the last time. The, around. the cost I'm of the, the cost of the bridges. Uh, uh, the cost of the bridges probably doubled, if not tripled. Should they not be giving ten million euro towards this? I would love to see um, if the nor- if the northern executive or if it's for, or if it's forty million. Should they not be going half with it? Should they not split it if the European money isn't available? Michael, it would be very great if, if the Northern Executive would get their act together and, and come back into shared power. That is not possible at the minute. And as you said before, there has been a lot of blockages to this project. Yeah. A huge project for for, for Omi, hmm. a huge pro- project for Cooley Mountains, and indeed a huge yeah. project for... Well, for if Michal Martin had, hadn't jumped the gun like this uh, and held it over uh, and allowed Fine Gael to see this through... Uh, with next month's Taoiseach in office, I'm sorry, I, I'm not perhaps 
there would have been 5, 10, 15, 20 million euro available from the Northern Ireland Assembly because I think the expectation is that the institutions will be restored sometime in the new year. Well, there's no money being spent. Just well, the Three million has been spent. But as I announced a couple of months ago, that the Loud County Council were going to issue the tender documents for construction in quarter two. That is exa- quarter four. That yeah. is exactly what they've been doing. Um, Loud County Council are the lead project uh, management on this project. It's all being not, funded not by the Shared Island Fund. Yeah, but funded by the Shared Island yeah. but not by, but not, um, not organised by, so you, it's very sad. More than to be honest, Michael, that you're saying that this is a political stunt by Michael Martin. He has been a fundamental and massive supporter of this project. Well, I don't, I I'm sure he has, I'm sure he has, and, I, and I, I, I'm sure there's lots of people listening who would agree and think, we don't need anybody to give us half the, the cost of this, even though they're going to get half of the benefit of it, uh, whether that's uh, 20 million or more. We don't need that money. That's, that's what you're saying, really, isn't it? I, I never said that. Not but isn't that what it comes what, down what to? What I said was that it would be, we are not w- relying on other money. Exactly <laughs> We've just said we don't want it. Neil Martin said no, it's no, all. He said that. all of the funding is coming from the Shared Island Project. He's, he said, but Michael, it's an Northern Executive want to give money. Shared Island and, and Loud County Council, yeah. I am sure, are, are in a position to give money. I am sure they'll accept it. What, what Mihal Martin has been very, very clear on is that there will be no blockages to this project. There yeah. will be no silly politics in the North that will stop funding being given to this project because, number one, he believes in this area. He believes in the, in the, in the Narrow Water Bridge. Number mm. two, he believes in economic and tourism investment mm. and progress well, in he, this entire region. He, he'd want to get, that, he'd want to get that message out loud and clear if he's to get a, a seat back in, in uh, this constituency. Let's go to Rory. It's a really cynical way to put, put on, on a really positive day for this entire entire area, Michael. Fair enough. The, fair, project, fair enough. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, no, fair. You've made that point priority. a few times. Fair enough. Uh, Rory Amur- really cynical. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's the fifth time. Uh, Rory Amuraku, um it is a, a really positive uh, day uh, for the region, isn't it? No, no, it, it certainly is. Look, this is a project that has been supported by many, particularly by Sinn Féin over many years. You've already gone through some of the ins and outs of the false storms that have happened. Um, yeah, look, I suppose it is disappointing in relation to the possibility that there was, particularly at one stage in time, to get European funding. I remember even having uh, conversations with Michal Martin around whether there still would be the possibility of European monies. Now, what I will welcome is that he did make a commitment a number of times, even to myself, that, he, that there would be follow-through from the Shared Island Unit in relation to this particular capital project. And we know that this is an absolute necessity, that it opens up for Mm. both the north and the south, and particularly from a point of view of tourism and all the rest of it. So we would see that there will be huge benefits into the future. And I accept that there is no point in holding this up on the basis of obstacles that exist at the minute. While it might have been preferable that there would have been other monies from from other places, and possibly we have to look into the possibility whether that can change into the future. The other difficulty is, you know... There's no hope of it changing going into the future. Once you've said you'll pay for it, uh, who's going to come along and say, oh, well, we feel a bit bit guilty there now about that. We're getting everything, all the benefits without any of the costs. Uh, You don't really think that's going to happen, do you? Well, in fairness, well, what he said is he's not allowing for any obstacles and he's ploughing yeah. ahead with this. Uh, so you agree with we the Fianna Fáil approach? We, 
we, we do welcome that it happens. Look, we are in complete support of this project mm. happening. We want it to happen. We see the benefits that are going to happen. We see the benefits even from a financial perspective. Now, if someone else wants to do a piece of work in relation to whether all due diligence was followed through in re- relation to European monies, etc., that's, that's, that's fair enough. At this point, we want to see the bridge built. The other difficulty in relation to tender processes, we all know that suppliers can't get surety in relation mm. to prices longer than 24 hours. Nobody knows the ultimate cost of this. Exactly. So we need this to happen as soon as possible. Otherwise, we could be into spiralling costs. Mm. So that is. So, but you don't believe in the control. You don't believe that it should hinge on funding uh, from Northern Ireland. What I've said is, I'm in complete support of this happening. I see the absolute. You're, you're, you're in complete support of the approach that the Taoiseach is making in footing the entire bill without asking Northern Ireland for a contribution. Right. See, in relation to the Taoiseach can answer in relation to conversations that he's had in relation to funding. I requested from him as Taoiseach whether what his commitment was in relation to delivering this project, and he stated that he was utterly committed to it. Now I can have my own arguments in relation to. It shared island unit. I believe there has been some worthwhile work done in relation to it. I believe it probably should be. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're drifting off the point yeah, now. Just, yeah, just. Yeah, no, I accept that. I'm only stating that. Yeah. And, and I think that this is one of those projects that he has put top of the agenda. I imagine he needs to do this as well from a point of view of the shared island unit needs to be sold. There's an element of symbolism in this, but there's also a huge, huge gain for this particular region, and that's both north and south. Hmm. And any ups, and I am happy to see that we're seeing progress. In and you're happy that it is going away. See if you're going to... Sorry, Michael. See if you're going to have a conversation in relation to possible funding streams and whatever. I imagine the Taoiseach has had conversations with whoever he needed to have, so I imagine it's him you'd need to ask those questions of. But you're happy. You're, 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 you, you don't believe. Uh, would I much prefer that there was funding? No, that's not what I asked you. Would I, would I much prefer... That no, that's not what I asked you. Of course, everybody, I'm sure Aaron McGrain would much yeah. prefer if there was funding. Everybody would, of course, but you're, you're happy enough that under the circumstance, whatever that is, which is unknown to us, that the Taoiseach decided that the Irish taxpayer will fund this in its entirety. Here, we need this to happen as soon as possible. The so yes, is it? Well, can you not just say yes or no? It's a simple question, Rory. Yes. I, I know you don't want to say that you agree with the Taoiseach's approach. No, no, Michael. And the other thing that I completely understand yeah. is the longer that this goes on, the more expensive this project becomes, no matter yeah. where the funding's coming from. So I would say we need to get on with this project as quickly as possible. Right. Uh, do you think it could cost you your seat? No, I believe an awful lot of people would consider to a degree... Well, nothing exists outside of politics. Yeah. From my point, from my point of view, this is a project that we have always supported, that we have always. I know, but it'll be built in around, or it'll certainly be well on the way around the time of the next general election, won't it? Um, going back to Jerry Adams and even back to Arthur Morgan. It's a particular project that we have always supported and we have always pushed. I don't see that this will have any impact in relation to uh, wider electoral results. All right, Aaron McGree, and I think Fine Gael has been. Uh, claiming uh, that it's part of uh, their election manifesto so that they've delivered the bridge? I think it's part of a lot of election manifestos. It was also part of the, the new decade, new, the new, de- new decade approach in the North. It was it has been um, on our all our agendas and exactly what Rory has said there. It has been a priority for so many of our, of our parties because... We believe in economic development because we believe in this project is is important for this entire region. I live here, Michael. 
I know this area. Omeath and the areas like it have been ignored for a long, long time. This is going to boost the entire area. It's a, it's a symbol of so much, but it's also a symbol of belief in this region. Mm. And the belief that this region will grow and be prosperous right into the future. There is a lot, there's a lot of things wrong with, with, with things in the world today, Michael. But this one... Yeah. This one is not a go- is not is not wrong, and it'll be remembered. Now, it'll be remembered about for decades. It, 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 the, the the area is remembered as well for uh, an IRA atrocity. Absolutely. Uh, do, you, do, do, you believe, do you believe that that should be reflected in the name of the bridge when it is built? Yes, that will be for that will be uh, for a different day. But in an area of such. Well, why, I mean, it's been law. spoken about for years. Have you not got an opinion on yes. that? I actually have not thought about the, the bridge. I have always just called it the Narrow Water Bridge, um, to be honest. And why wouldn't it be? And why wouldn't it con- by, uh, continue to be that? Um, to be honest, the, for an area of such sadness, of such loss, and an area that we've been looking across at each other for so long, um, and now that we'll be able to to be able to do a loop of the lock, we mm. will have you know the greenway from right around and get back in the ferry, open up the morns and the coolies to each other to to two of the mountain ranges, the most beautiful mountain ranges yeah. in the entire country. And to be honest, it is it is going to be an unprecedented boost to the entire region. Yeah. And that well, is a good day on any scale. Uh, you, and political cynicism like yourself, Michael, that's not welcome and it's not need, needed in this project. No, that's fair enough. Uh, you're entitled to your opinion, uh, of course. Uh, Rory O'Murakou, what, what's your opinion on the name of uh, the bridge, a uh, uh, place where 18 paras were killed by the RRA, uh, should that be reflected in the name of uh, the the bridge? Uh, and if so, should it be because of uh, the loss of life or should it reflect uh, what a, a lot of IRA supporters would, would have considered uh, to be uh, a good piece of uh, intelligence and a, a successful operation? Um, M- Michael, like there are huge amounts of areas here in the north and here across Ireland where there were a huge level of all sorts of operations by the IRA, by British forces, here, by, by loyalists and others. And unfortunately, that is the history that we have. We, we cannot change that. I haven't considered anything in relation to the name. What I think is this is a really, really positive project that it's looking forward. You know what I mean? I have no difficulty in relation to if people want to have a discussion at some stage in relation to the, to the naming of this project. But for my notion, I have always known it as the Narrow Water Bridge. Okay. I've never thought of it about anything else. Okay. Um, but a lot of consensus this morning. A lot of consensus. Interesting. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us both. Project, Michael, there is consensus. Absolutely. That's what I just said. Yeah. Fan- fantastic. Thank you indeed. Uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Erin McGreen and Rory O'Murakou, who's a Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. This Thursday will be the 61st anniversary of uh, the withdrawal of thalidomide, which was a drug for morning sickness that was prescribed to expectant mothers 61 years ago in 1961. It was withdrawn, as I say, from the international market, uh, but the story didn't end there. Let's uh, speak uh, to Fanola Casti, who's a spokesperson with the Irish Thalidomide Association. Association. And a very good morning to you, Finola, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You met with uh, the Taoiseach last week, and you'll be at the Dáil this Thursday to mark the 61st anniversary. Uh, and you're hoping that uh, the government will act uh, in the near future to compensate some of the harm that resulted from pregnant women taking this drug. 
Thank you. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Yes, all of what you said is correct, but just for the sake of, of your listeners, you know, to emphasize, I suppose, that it has been a 61-year saga from the time when, when the mothers were prescribed the drug or could actually walk into a pharmacy and buy it over the counter. And this drug was wholly untested when it came to the world market and obviously including Ireland. They had never tested it on, you know, pregnant rats or mice or whatever in the laboratories. So nobody realised in the 60s the catastrophic injuries it would cause. Some of our members were born without legs, arms, with internal damage, missing ears. And we are the survivors in the truest sense of the word because there are only about 40 left in Ireland. And when you think that one of the packets of the trade name of that drug called Softenon, there was 51,000 packets of that sold in Ireland alone in 1961. So we do recognise that we truly are survivors. They would say worldwide that out of the 100,000 babies damaged, 90,000 died at birth or in the first year. So you really get the sense, I suppose, of how small our little group is and and the length of, of seeking justice that our parents before us and now us have had to do. Okay. Coming back to the modern day, um, look, in particular, I suppose, last year, while, while we've had an ongoing, uh, you know, we've been with Fine Gael for the last 12 years and now the new coalition has has definitely moved things along even at a, at a slower pace, but we have got some somewhere now and we're very very hopeful at this stage that that, you know that there is a total understanding probably for the first time in many years as to what the tragedy was in ireland and the state's hand act on part of it and the thing is as you mentioned the international withdrawal Mm. while it was withdrawn internationally a decision was made at the time we have the government papers that backs this up that for some reason they did not want to withdraw it in ireland at the time, they did no bells and whistles. They didn't get it off the shelves or out of medicine cabinets. And that is where the state's culpability in particular lies, mm. that they were the cause, especially to our youngest members. Mm. They were needlessly affected. So mm. coming back to today, as I say, we've um, last year on the 60th anniversary, we felt it was time to acknowledge all those who had died and to show that we were the, the survivors in the truest sense of the word. And from that date last year, we got huge cross-party support. Um, I remember outside Leinster House that day, a couple of journalists saying to me, Fanola, we've never seen so many people come out to support us. And because of ongoing legal action that we felt we were forced to take from the protracted process of getting us nowhere, we have relied an awful lot on the present-day politicians. Mm. And in particular, Micheál Martin's decision uh, you know, uh, it, it's taken the year of, of pushing, pushing, but we have now a decision where he is personally involved. And, and we really welcome that. So we had a very robust meeting the other day. I very good. You, because mm. we, we can't leave this go any further. You know, mm. we yeah. made it very clear that the overuse and the misuse of our disabled limbs have mm. left us worn out. Well, tell me a little and bit more about uh, the overuse of uh, thalidomide, uh, because as you say, it was withdrawn internationally in 1961, but continued to be used here for some time afterwards. How long afterwards? Uh, It it was seen at the time as a a wonder drug until it it became apparent that it was causing these terrible problems. But it it really uh, was a wonder drug for expectant mothers who had morning sickness. Uh, And I don't know, but I imagine that was part of the thinking for continuing to use it here. How long was that, Fanola? Well, you see, because there was no effective withdrawal, the distributors at the time, TP Wheelhams, literally issued 
um, around November 61, or we believe actually not till January 62, um, an ordinary little pink or green notice, as if it would go to a pharmacy to say, that batch of drugs is out of date, return to us. But no bells and whistles uh, uh, mentioning the harm that it could cause and the level of harm. Mm. And you see, as the years progressed, I think the the evidence of how catastrophic the disabilities were. Mm. The drug was extremely toxic, Michael. Literally, if a mother took it on, say, day 22 of the pregnancy, it might have damaged the arm. So you might have little fingers coming out of shoulders. Day 32 might be no ears. Depending on the development of the baby in the womb on a very specific day, if that drug was taken on that day, mm. that completely messed up with that development. Okay. And so we know for a fact that there was no proper withdrawal. And also, and there's, if, you're, if your uh, listeners are, are interested, to look back at a recent Scannell documentary mm. by RTE because it was so telling to go back historically. Not only did they not withdraw the drug, they made no effort for the fact that the drug was available or still in the medicine cabinets mm. or the kitchen cupboard of people who had received it maybe the, some months before. Right, yeah. For, and for maybe went on to have another baby or something like that. Um, well, exactly. My uh, own mother, uh, I have a pre- prescription receipt or, or the receipt yeah. from the little local pharmacy and it has like Alka-Seltzer, you know, cotton buds yeah. and then Softenon. And I was born in October when she got a new... Uh, prescription for whatever whatever reason. And so if my mother had gone on and had another baby, like it wouldn't have been, even though I was born Mm. and and nearly baptised in the delivery ward and it was very obvious that I had the disabilities, nobody would have made that connection to the taking of the drug. Mm. That didn't happen for a few years. Okay, but how old would your youngest member be? Uh, Or or would they have been if they survived? Exactly. Yeah. we have, in particular, our own chairman, uh, um, a great friend of mine, John Stack, is a farmer down in Tarbaton, Kerry. And uh, John would have been with us meeting with Taoiseach the other day. And John is one of, is, is our youngest member, and he is not 60 till 1963. Right. So we do represent a group of people who are needlessly yeah. affected if there had been an effective withdrawal. Okay. And, and it's a small also, group of people, so... Where's the obstacle uh, in doing the right thing uh, to complicate? I mean, I think anybody uh, who knows what thalidomide is and the effects of it will know that it was a terrible thing. And if the state was culpable in that, uh, obviously, uh, the right thing to do is to help people in in their lives now as a result of their damages. Uh, It's a small group of people uh, and the bill would be relatively small for the government. So so where's the obstacles in that? Um, Well, but... This is the problem. We we don't really know. The, the Attorney General has advised the government that the state is not liable or does not have a case to answer. And as a result of all the standoff over the last uh, 10 plus years, we eventually have taken our cases to the courts. But um, I, I genuinely don't know. There, there was what the government in the 70s called an expression of sympathy for the children. Uh, and, and small awards were made in the 70s and there's been some ongoing payments. But you see, the big thing here, Michael, was, mm. um, and this is the world over, nobody expected that the my babies, who then became teenagers, then became young adults, mm. to live. No. Even our own parents, when they accepted the deal in the 70s, nobody would have expected that then we would have arrived mm. at our 60s, worn out, 
physically and, and, and mentally from the campaign, but the overuse, you can think of having very little yeah. arms. And, 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 and that's why there's so few. would be worn out. That's why you have so, so, so few members yeah, so now. Uh, the Taoiseach last month, uh, I think, was speaking about uh, a potentially mediated process. Uh, is that what he said to you last week or where does it lie now? Yes, yeah, so so we are now going to engage in a process. I can't comment exactly on what mm. it's going to be because both sides are, are now engaging in, in defining that. But to be honest, we are more hopeful now than we have been in 61 oh, years. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. He does appear to have taken a personal interest. Mm. And I note that on a, an OT interview uh, after the our meeting, somebody said, well, you know, when you leave office in, in December, where does this leave things? Yeah. And he has actually stated that he's running with this as Tronishta. Okay. So we are very glad that we have the, the direct link and, and I think a genuine yeah. uh, wish to conclude this. And, you know, yeah. I've been saying one thing because I've been in Leinster House every week for the last year. I've addressed parliamentary parties, meetings, yeah. in Finnish to Erin there. My goodness, the work she's done in the parliamentary party okay. for our group has been extraordinary. But I have said this one thing, Michael, I think it's very telling. Mm. This did not happen on their watch. But they are no, the custodians no. of yeah. the state's stance on it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so this is when the, the, we're drawing a line in the sand now and we are hoping for absolute proactive okay. engagement and for, a solution. Fanola, I have to leave it there, but thank you very much indeed for taking the time to be with us. Uh, nice to talk to you as well. That's uh, Fanola. Thank you. Fanola Cassidy, spokesperson with the Irish Thalidomide Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, a former ESB office block in East Wall is being used to, to house nearly 400 refugees, but not without protest, it has to be said. Let's speak to journalist Alison O'Reilly. Good morning, Alison. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, no, without protest, uh, maybe an understatement. There was a huge protest on Friday. Another one uh, planned to take place today, I think. That's right, Michael, yeah. Um we got word on Friday evening that uh, a number of busloads of asylum seekers were moving into East Wall and locals became concerned because they say that they weren't informed, there was no discussion um, and they were more concerned that they didn't know who these people are um, and you know where they've come from, have they been vetted and uh, they were expecting women and children, if any, uh, asylum seekers were coming into the area. So protests got underway then at uh, around two o'clock on Tuesday and a huge crowd showed up and began to block traffic. And it's a huge old building, uh, the old ESB building, now renovated. Mm. Local rep um, Nile Ring said that he doesn't believe the building's fit for purpose. A lot of new beds were seen going in, new furniture. Um, and we now understand that there's up to 400 asylum seekers, all men, all male adults, uh, living in um, the centre there. But there's no answer, I suppose, and there's a lot of fears. And when I say fears, um, you know, there was a, an elderly woman who said, you know, she had to be vetted to clean the brasses in the church. Are these people vetted? Who are they? Why weren't we told? Um, you know, and then, of course, there's a lot of claims that this is racially motivated, that there's an issue of racism here. But I suppose I was there and the general sense, look, at these protests, Michael, you're always going to get uh, yeah. difficult, challenging people who jump on the bandwagon. But the genuine people of East Wall insist this is not about racism. In fact, they 
would be the first to welcome women and children into the area. Um, they were expecting, if any asylum seekers were coming, that they were the Ukrainians fleeing the war and um, that this is, uh, they've been blindsided by this. Mm. that they're just, there's fear. Who, who are these people? Where have they come from? And have they been better? And they brought traffic to a standstill. Another protest is going to take place today. Uh, so yeah. I take it nothing has been done to alleviate the concerns. Concerns, you say, are, are genuine, but concerns uh, that if they weren't driven by right-wing groups, were most definitely piggybacked by right-wing groups. Well, this is the problem. And there were some people there on Saturday that I was concerned about and I left when I was doing my report there. But... You know, I have written to the Department of Children who oversee integration and I've had no response so far. I think there's a lot of questions to be answered. Um, we understand that there's more asylum seekers moving into areas outside East Wall and close to East Wall. And I suppose it's fear, it's change, it's something mm. new and, and there's genuine concerns there. There's no answers, no one's responding and I'm expecting a lot of the ministers to be questioned about it today or doorsteps because yeah. we're certainly not getting any answers on the ground. Okay, well, uh, building will be exempted as we'll be hearing uh, later in the programme uh, from requiring planning permission if they're to be used for a short period of time uh, to house asylum seekers and refugees and I guess that's the extent of the problem or the challenge uh, depending on, on which way you look at it and perhaps uh, what's happening in East Wall is a sign of things to come God knows Alison thank you indeed for joining us as always uh, that's reporter Alison O'Reilly Michael Reed on LMFM. The Connect Trade Union held its biannual delegate conference in Wexford last week and was celebrating 100 years since its formation. As part of the event, new Labour history was launched. The Connect Trade Union, a history 1922-2020 towards one big Irish engineering union. It's written by Dr. Luke Deneen. Let's hear a little bit more about this. Paddy Kavanagh is uh, the General Secretary with uh, the Connect Trade Union. A very good morning to you, Paddy, and thanks uh, indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. I, I take it Luke Deneen was delighted with the endorsement of uh, the President, Michael D. Higgins. In fact, I imagine the entire trade union movement was delighted at what President Higgins had to say in his foreword to the book. Well, good morning, yes. Um, not only Luke, but all our members were delighted actually with the book itself. It's a very detailed history of our union and how it was formed and up to the present day. And of course, we were delighted to have the President bring it forward and endorse the book. Mm, he said that the best outcomes for workers, their defence and their prospects are achieved by joining a trade union. Yes, without a doubt. Um, I think that's accepted worldwide. Um, trade union members are better protected and better paid generally and um, of course we would believe that every worker should be in the appropriate trade union Okay, well obviously the President does as well I'm sure that there are some though who would prefer uh, if he wasn't to make his views known in such a way Well I think the President is highly regarded throughout the country I think he's an intelligent articulate human being and I think he speaks for us all when he's says that all workers should be a member of a trade union. Mm, okay. Uh, for people uh, who aren't a, a member of a, a trade union, uh, they might wonder what the benefits are. Well, the benefits are representation, um, experienced negotiators. We also have benefits for members. So I believe that overall um, trade union 
of workers are much better if they are members of a trade union. Okay, some employers don't like trade unions at all and they look on people who join a a trade union as troublemakers. Well, look, some employers, of course, do not like trade unions, but the vast majority of employers work with trade unions. They work with us every day of the week. We work with employer bodies, true trade union bodies, and we contribute greatly to the growth of the country and to any and many economic forums where we work together to plan for the betterment of the country. Mm. Uh, well, there's uh, a lot of people uh, who are very concerned uh, at the moment uh, about uh, how far uh, their paycheck is uh, going and indeed very concerned about the coming months. Uh, just listening to the forecast there, if that's any sign uh, of things to come over the next few months, uh, we're going to need a lot of light and heat and the cost of all of that has gone through the roof and trade unions are negotiating pay increases. That's not always the case for people who uh, don't have trade union representation. No, it's not. And the figures speak for themselves in that, that trade unions have worked very well in the last number of years to secure pay increases for the members and continue to do so. Um, we do have concerns for those workers who are not represented, who don't have a voice and who are left to the vagaries of the market. And we would urge all workers to join the trade union. Uh, the trade union appropriate to their particular profession or trade. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, you represent a, a lot of people in the electrical trade. Uh, if there was some talk at uh, your conference last week about nuclear role and or nuclear and the role that that can play uh, in uh, combating climate change. Well, what we said was, to be clear, is the time for the debate is now. With the rising cost of energy, I think all options have to be explored. In fact, a major part of our conference, um, we had a seminar on green skills for a just transition. The main focus was on renewables, wind, solar, etc. But as part of any full round of debate, all options have to be discussed. Mm, yeah. Well, it really is a, a no-brainer, isn't it, uh, in the sense uh, of uh, carbon emissions, until you start worrying about leaks or waste. Yes, well, look, we held the Global Power Trade Unions Conference two days previous to our conference, which was electrical unions from all around the world. And we have we had representatives from Australia who would have a strict anti-nuclear policy. We had representatives from the states who would be pro-nuclear. Um, we had people from other countries that had nuclear power. So look, yeah. the whole thing is having that debate. You look out the options, look what's best. Yeah. You're not, all you're, micro you're, ones tend to be much safer um, but overall we have to look at it and really um, when you look at what we have a nuclear plant what 40, 50 miles more from our capital city mm. so um, I think we have to look at everything measure the pros and cons and come up with a mature decision Yeah, you're not saying either way but to debate it uh, and to see uh, if uh, it would be uh, the way forward uh, and obviously there's uh, the issues uh, as I say uh, when it comes to dealing with the waste or if there's to be leaks and so on and uh, as we're all very concerned uh, in Zebrisha at the moment uh, there's the prospect of an attack on a, a nuclear plant uh, it's not an easy discussion is it? No it's not an easy discussion but like I say the history of the nuclear industry is there has been um, errors Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. But having said that, we buy power from countries that produce it using nuclear. And we just want to have a full and open debate and measure all the options. Ireland is built for wind. Ireland is built for wave. There's many, many options we can explore. Okay, interesting stuff. Uh, And... uh uh, it'll be uh, something that uh, undoubtedly you'll be talking about in the future and uh, the trade union movement feeding into that uh, conversation. Uh, interesting, I, I think, uh, what uh, the President had to say and uh, it may act as food for thought for some of our listeners as well if they are not trade union members. Uh, but thanks indeed uh, for joining us this morning, Paddy. Uh, much appreciated. Paddy Cavanagh, General Secretary with the Connect Trade Union. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Just a a few people in touch. Uh, Peter doesn't believe uh, that refugees should be living in the East Wall. He had a few other things to say, and all I can say, Pete, is that I hope that uh, you never find yourself in a situation looking for uh, asylum or or refuge uh, like uh, some of uh, these people who are fleeing war-torn areas uh, and looking for... Uh, the kindness of strangers, which is you and me, as I say, uh, I hope that's not a situation that you ever find yourself in. I don't think that there's going to be much kindness from Peter for the, uh, the people uh, who are being accommodated in East Wall. Tony in County Loud in touch with us saying, Michael, you're completely correct in your assessment of uh, the Narrow Water Bridge project. It's reckless in the extreme at a time when this country is 400 billion euro in debt with 11,000 of its citizens on the homeless list and this man out of the blue commits to a project with no end total known which could become another children's hospital not to mention the sheer cheek of taking this solo run which involves another jurisdiction as you have pointed out and coming at a time when this man has only weeks left in his position uh, just uh, for anybody listening Tony is talking about the Taoiseach Michal Martin there when he's talking about this man uh, and he says this man may be hoping it'll be called the Michal Martin Bridge since he will scarcely be remembered for anything else it could also become a target for for loyalist dissidents who might well see it as a, another protocol type intrusion and take over a bit, says Tony in County Loud. Uh, someone says, uh, call it the Michael Reid Bridge. I think that's a, a joke or maybe they meant the Michal Martin Bridge. Uh, Paddy Duffy says, you call me a cynic. I did call Paddy Duffy a cynic on a, a couple of occasions uh, because some of the things he says. And he says, you call me a cynic? How dare you suggest that Fianna Fáil are trying to buy a seat in County Loud? They'd never do such a, a thing. Thank you uh, indeed, uh, Paddy Duffy. Uh, Eric Cuthbert says... 
Mike, I'd like to ask the Irish government to consider building a bridge from Soldiers Point to the Blue Anchor. It would be a great shortcut to the Cooley Peninsula. Well, thanks uh, indeed uh, for sharing that thought with us uh, this morning. Eric, now we're talking about uh, nuclear plants. Uh, and indeed, uh, the threat from Russia. Uh, we're all very worried about Russia. Uh, and as you know, uh, they've placed 52 politicians on a stop list, a travel ban placed on Irish politicians going into Russia uh, because of uh, their support for Ukraine. And uh, this is what the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, had to say about this. He was speaking on Friday to students in DCU. Russia has imposed sanctions against uh, 52 politicians of, uh, of your country. Now, the reason is because uh, uh, your country supports European efforts to stop Russian terror and to revive the international law. Of course, those restrictions imposed by Russia, they don't really affect anything. It's more of a propaganda thing so that Russian TV could pretend as if Russia is still capable of something, at least in diplomacy. Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, uh, was addressing students and staff in DCU on Friday uh, and took uh, the time. Uh, indeed, it was one of the first things he said, uh, but he took the time to mention uh, the concern that there is about uh, this stop list and 52 Irish politicians being barred from going into Russia. This is what the Taoiseach had to say about it. I'm not responsible for you know how the, the, the Russian government is um, deciding on these lists. Um, and uh, but I think the, the the overall picture really is that this is just classic um, diversion propaganda um, uh, move by the Russian government, and we shouldn't be deflected from it. Um, and uh, our focus has to be on um, the solidarity with the people of Ukraine, uh, and also maintaining pressure on Russia in, in, in the international arena to stop this war. It's a terrible war that's killing many people, many young people. Uh, on both sides, uh, uh, you know, unnecessarily being killed um, because of what Russia has done and, and, and Russia invading Ukraine. And I suppose the Taoiseach saying that the idea of publishing this stop list is to distract us, to forget what's going on in Ukraine. Dear friends, Russian aggression does not stop for a single day, just as Russian lies to the world do not stop for a single day. Therefore, international pressure on Russia should not stop for a single day. And this could be done not only by politicians, but also by everyone at their own level. Of course, we need to apply new sanctions against Russia. It's effective. We need a new European sanctions package. Please defend this need at the European level. We need to be active in adding the truth about the war and the crises it provoked. Now, this is something that all of you can do Please talk about what is happening and find a convenient format to support these honest and transparent media bloggers who cover global affairs, as well as Russian aggression in particular. And please look for specific projects that can help our defense and our people. The more collective efforts we make, the sooner we will force Russia to leave the territory of Ukraine and fulfill its obligations to the world. The Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, speaking through a translator and appealing to you directly to 
help and support Ukraine. By the way, if you'd like to make comment on this programme today, as always, we would love to hear from you. You can phone us on 0419832000. That's 0419832000. You can text or WhatsApp 0861800658 or you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now you heard earlier about uh, that protest uh, by East Wall residents at nearly 400 refugees moving into the old ESB building there. Another protest planned today. We said uh, during that conversation there may be more uh, of uh, this uh, type of accommodation being made available to refugees and indeed planning permission may not be required to convert these buildings uh, so that they can uh, accommodate refugees and asylum seekers temporarily. This is because of a a new clause in planning regulations that is currently being considered. This new clause provides for the temporary change of use uh, on our behalf of the Minister for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth of a wide list of buildings and structures to accommodate or support persons seeking international protection. This provision is a temporary measure and will expire on the 31st of December 2024 with the use of the relevant buildings and structures for the purpose ceasing to apply at the expiry of the regulation. Yeah, that's Minister of State Malcolm Noonan telling the Housing Committee that it would be a temporary measure uh, and one that's needed uh, because whilst we've always had refugees coming to this country, uh, the numbers have exploded recently. Let's put this into context now and remember uh, how many people would have come here uh, before the Ukrainian war. The average figure for international protection applicants arriving here over the three-year period from 2017 to 2019 was 3,500. However, since the 1st of January 2022 alone, over 12,300 international protection applicants have arrived in Ireland, with almost 17,000 international protection applicants now being accommodated by IPAS as a whole. Ukrainian war or the Russian invasion of Ukraine, more accurately put, the result has been hugely dramatic, as you know. It is quite clear that there are now unprecedented numbers of persons seeking refuge in Ireland, both from Ukraine and other countries, and the pressure to accommodate the 63,000 people that have arrived here since the start of the year equating to a city with a popula- the population of Waterford has led to significant difficulties in the provision of necessary accommodation. Green Party Minister Malcolm Noonan. Let's speak uh, to Ono Brinch and Fane's spokesperson on housing. A very good morning to you once again. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You believe that this is an emergency uh, and agree with the government that it requires this uh, emergency response. That's right, Michael. So uh, this uh, emergency provision already exists where uh, government is using non-residential buildings for the provision of emergency accommodation for Ukrainians. So what the measure uh, that Malcolm Noonan was speaking to at committee last Thursday is to extend that emergency provision, not just to the provision of emergency accommodation for Ukrainians, but also uh, for other people uh, seeking international protection, other people uh, uh, claiming asylum. There were two very strong responses, both from myself, but also pretty much from all of the members of the committee to Malcolm uh, when he came to our committee last week. The first is uh, where the government is taking a decision to provide emergency accommodation, whether it's for Ukrainians or for anybody else. Uh, The first thing they absolutely have to do is they have to talk to the local community. We're not saying that community should have a veto, but they absolutely need to be part of the conversation so they know exactly what's happening, when it's happening and how it's happening. And the second thing we urge the minister to do, because this has been a failing to date, is particularly when the numbers uh, are significant, 
then there needs to be a very clear package of supports, including things, for example, uh, that relate to healthcare, education or transport, etc., both for uh, uh, the refugees accessing that temporary accommodation and also in some instances for the wider community to ensure, for example, if you have a community where certain public services are already at stretching mm-hmm. point, that additional resources are made. So communication with local communities is absolutely key and adequate provision of supports. This isn't just about a mattress on a floor mm. uh, uh, for somebody fleeing a, a war, whether it's in Ukraine or Afghanistan or anywhere else. Yeah. It's also about doing it properly. You and others, as you say, were quite strong uh, in putting those points uh, to the Minister and saying that con- uh, consultation is key. And that seems to be what the residents uh, objecting to refugees being moved into that ESB building in East Wall are saying, that they weren't consulted with. Well, firstly, and I watched the, 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 the images of the protests at East, East Wall over the weekend, there is an enormous amount of anger uh, in, in particularly inner city communities at decades of government failure on housing, on crime, on health care, on, on basic amenities. Um, and people really feel left down by the government. I don't believe protesting against the, the small number of, of asylum applicants that were put into the temporary ESB building is the right response. I think people should be protesting, but they should be protesting against the government for its failures. But there is no doubt that if government doesn't talk to people, if they don't include host communities in the conversation, mm. uh, then that's going to create difficulties. Just just here in my own uh, 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 location in Clondalkin, not only do we have a, a significant direct provision centre at the end of my road, I have a very good relationship with the uh, residence committee there, uh, and they're in as much as you can be in direct provision, they're well integrated into the local community. But we also have the Red, Hawk, Red Cow Hotel, the Ibis Hotel, City West, uh, and very recently, uh, Roger O'Gorman uh, started to use uh, an old um, uh, commercial building at the entrance to Clondalk and Dulcorn House for 250 uh, men, women and children uh, seeking asylum. Again, that is something that we are willing to work with the government on, but there was no communication strategy with the local community. We recommended when we met Roderick days before he, he moved the families in that he should talk to local community networks, local residence associations and the tidy towns mm. just to keep them informed because if you don't keep people informed, that creates a vacuum. Uh, all sorts of rumours uh, spread around. And unfortunately, we also see uh, some uh, actors who have alternative political agendas mm. try to exploit that. And for example, with respect yeah. to East Wall, mm. there were a number of individuals at that protest, and I know who they are. Uh, they're not from that community. They have a very, very clear uh, uh, ultra-right-wing political agenda. Uh, and that does not serve the interests either of the people of East Wall who have been badly let down by government or indeed those people who are coming to Ireland to seek refuge from moral persecution. So it's crucial we don't have that vacuum. It's crucial we have that engagement with local communities. And it's crucial we have those packages of support, both for the refugees and for the wider community. Uh, I mean, I I don't know um, if you'd agree with this, Owen, but I I think that uh, that protest has to be condemned. Uh, And I understand that people have genuine concerns uh, and their right to ask questions, their right to complain if they haven't been consulted with. But I can't imagine being one of the 380 people uh, who are seeking international protection in this country inside that building with all of those people outside shouting. Uh, There is is this other issue uh, as well when it comes to right-wing movements. There were certain right-wing racist statements made uh, over the weekend at the protest and indeed online, if this is not being driven by a, a right-wing movement as such, uh, if you can use that as an umbrella term for uh, certain groups, uh, it's certainly being piggybacked by them. 
Absolutely. Let me be very clear. Uh, as I said already, I do not believe the protest was the right response. Uh, and I am very concerned by the small number of far-right individuals uh, trying to exploit and manipulate the very real anger and frustration that communities have, not with refugees, by the way, but at decades of government failure. The East Wall is an inner city community that has had uh, uh, more than its fair share of government neglect uh, uh, and failure to address uh, social, economic uh, uh, and resourcing issues uh, over many, many decades. But the right response is to focus on government because whether it's the housing crisis, whether it's the health crisis, whether it's the organised crime in some communities, uh, uh, government is responsible and it is to government we should be protesting. So, for example, uh, this Saturday in Dublin, uh, Raise the Roof, the trade union and civil society-led campaign, uh, 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 calling for a radical shift in housing policy. They're organising a protest. There's some very famous musicians like Glenn Hansard and mm. Lisa O'Neill and uh, uh, Brendan Begley and others playing at it. Yeah, and you're part of for. that campaign. Let's oh, uh, just make that clear. Sinn Féin uh, and People Before Profit and the uh, trade unions, and the Labour, students. And absolutely, and the, the Labour yeah, Party yeah, and the yeah, Sock yeah. Dems. And the generally, the, the opposition parties, yes. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that campaign mm. is it's the entire trade union movement. Mm. It's almost all of the yep. country's leading homeless organisations like Vincent de Paul and yep. uh, Peter McFerry's and Focus. Mm. But what it's calling for is for government to uh, uh, shift and change housing policy. Mm. Uh, so we start to tackle the housing crisis. So people are right to be angry uh, and people have a right to protest. But let's keep the protest focused yeah. on where they should be. And that will be a big protest policy. on Saturday. There's no doubt about it. But this emergency response that you'll be able to convert buildings without planning permission yeah. so that you can house refugees uh, and asylum seekers is the right emergency approach, you believe, because it is an emergency emergency situation. And speaking of emergencies, uh, we spoke to you, I think, last week, wasn't it, about uh, whether the uh, crisis in housing, which everybody agrees is a crisis, is an emergency. Or, or not, uh, it, it was uh, the Taoiseach uh, who wouldn't agree with Sinn Féin on, on that point, uh, and then the Taoiseach uh, who did agree that it is an emergency. That's right, and of course, Darrell O'Brien uh, uh, famously on, on television a couple of weeks ago said he didn't believe it was an emergency. There, there, there's a reason why we need to declare this emergency, because that then allows you to do certain things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. So, for example, uh, I've been arguing for some time, if we want to ensure that during the winter ban on evictions, uh, 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 we take advantage of that breathing space that the winter ban has given us so that we're not back here again in April, then government does need to seriously look at emergency measures, such as, for example, using some existing emergency powers that the minister has with respect to, to planning uh, uh, and looking at high-grade uh, modular building technologies to bring on stream much more quickly accommodation to ensure that we dramatically reduce the number of, for example, families with children in emergency accommodation or indeed pensioners uh, in emergency accommodation, something that's rising and doesn't get enough attention. Mm. Uh, So we've tabled a motion uh, uh, during our private members' time on Tuesday, uh, uh, one, urging people to support the Raise the Roof rally in Dublin at one o'clock on Saturday, um, and two, to declare the emergency so that then can lead to government taking even more emergency action from now until April. Because otherwise what will happen is when the winter ban on eviction ends in April, that build-up of notices to quit and all those people who are still in emergency accommodation will be no better off than they were uh, when that winter ban on evictions was introduced in November. So it's, Mm. it's, it's both a symbolic motion but also it's a practical motion because by declaring the emergency... It's an effort to compromise the government, isn't it? Sorry? It's an effort to compromise the government. Uh, I mean, everybody, not just you, but everybody is playing with words on this one. 
No, I don't agree. I mean, I think the government is compromised by the fact that there's 11,000 adults and children in emergency mm. accommodation. Uh, they're compromised by the fact that house prices and rents are higher than they've ever been before. And they're compromised by the fact that not only are they not meeting their social affordable housing targets, but as we saw in the papers at the weekend, hundreds of millions of euros of capital expenditure given to the Department of Housing that has remained unspent and will be unspent at the end of this year. That's the third year in a row. It's not Sinn Féin private members' motions that compromises the government. It's their own housing mm. failures. Okay. We have to find you, ways you, of putting more pressure on them to change the policy because that's what people need. OK. Uh, what was Leo Vatker said? Populists. <laughs> uh, stuff as usual from Sinn Féin. Are, are you very disappointed that Leo Varadkar has announced that he will not go into coalition with your party? Well, given that he has been in government for 11 years uh, and given that we had the worst housing crisis in the history of the modern state... Uh, I think the quicker we get Leo Varadkar out of government, the better. Okay. And if wanting to provide good quality homes for, for working families is populism, then Leo Varadkar really needs to take a good hard look at himself because he has failed over a decade in government to do something very simple, to ensure people who are on good wages, working hard with good money, mm. can secure affordable homes. He promised on Saturday he's going to do children, that. <laughs> and you've been saying that for over a decade. Yeah. Um, we mm. have more children tonight in emergency accommodation in every county in the country than ever before. He's had a decade. He needs to go. Uh, and that's why we need change. But while we're waiting for the next general election, we need the government to do different things now. And that's why we'll raise the issues we're going to raise at our private members motion and that's why people need to get out of the streets on okay. Dublin at All 1 right. o'clock next Saturday to show the government that people are angry, that people want change yeah. and if the government doesn't change its housing policies then the government will be very very clear that people yeah. will change the government oh, the next time around. Well there's no doubt it's going to be a huge protest given the uh, amount of uh, groups and bodies that are behind it uh, we, and parties for that matter. Owen uh, O'Brien thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Owen O'Brien is Sinn Féin spokesperson on housing. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, one in five young women have suffered intimate relationship abuse. 27% of young women have experienced rape. And young women, women came together on Saturday to discuss this and related issues. Uh, the gathering called FemFest was organised by the National Women's Council of Ireland. Ivana Juchek is the Violence Against Women Coordinator with uh, the Women's Council and on the line. And a very good morning to you, Ivana, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. And when we talk about young women uh, in the context of FemFest, uh, you're talking about women aged between 16 and 25 who are subjected to this type of treatment. Good morning, Michael. Yes, and thank you for having us. Exactly, yeah, we've been discussing uh, about these issues on a series of workshops throughout the year, as well as on FemFest last Saturday. Okay, and young women are looking for something to be done about it. Those statistics are are, are absolutely dreadful, uh, but it would be far better if uh, we could change it somehow. Were there any suggestions as to what can be done? Absolutely, and it is outrageous. So there was a series of suggestions across different backgrounds, but I think something that um, I suppose I would like to highlight is that both the Secondary Schools Union in Ireland and in Northern Ireland as well, they both highlighted how little education they receive in the schools or 
that is not fully accurate or even during COVID, they might have missed all this information. So I suppose a strong suggestion was that it is key that um, we need to improve education uh, at early ages because, as he said, it's one in five, but it is also that half of that one in five Mm. is under the age of 18. So that shows that we need to start really early talking about sexual abuse and harassment. Mm. Uh, it's a difficult conversation indeed. Uh, we were talking to the ISPCC last week about talking uh, to children, uh, 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 but breaking down those barriers uh, because uh, if you don't talk to your children, if they don't learn uh, about uh, sex, sexual violence, pornography uh, and all of these things from you, uh, they will learn it from somewhere else. And predominantly these days, it, it seems that that source is the Internet. Absolutely, that's exactly it. That by not talking, you're allowing people to learn from worse places such as pornography. And in fact, Mia Doring, she was very clear about even platforms like OnlyFans that perhaps are a greater area for a lot of people, for young people, that they confuse being empowered or sex positivity and things like that when we're talking about sometimes soft porn or porn entirely. Mm. So we need to be very clear that it's not that not by talking it that it's not going to happen or no one is going to talk about it. It is there. Young people have a lot of access to um, these type of platforms and they are incredibly harmful, not only for young women, they're harmful for also young men and they're harmful for anyone really. Mm. I think to a large degree you could ask uh, do young people not know right from wrong and I think that perhaps the answer is no they don't because uh, they're being told black is white if you like. Uh, They're watching things that they believe uh, is consensual when in fact it's not. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that did come up very strongly, especially across all the campaigns talking about prevention is that everyone needs to play a part. Women, and older and younger, everybody has a role to play to discuss these issues. What is consent? And not only consent in terms of a yes or no, what does it mean in the context? If, if you learn, as you said, from pornography and you have a context that takes you a type of consent that is very harmful, then how are you going to be able to say yes or no? So it is very important that we take into account the context, that this is not just a yes or no, that we need to uh, shift the conversation into a whole cultural change um, that, that changed the idea of consent and I think it was also talk about in terms of not only yes or no, but also mm. mutuality. What does it mean, sexual mutuality, where everybody is respected? Mm. Uh, is there confusion, not just uh, uh, amongst young men or young boys, uh, but is there also confusion uh, amongst young women? About, you mean about consent? Well, uh, about what is... Um, Consensual, yes, uh, but uh, what's expected of them, if you like? Yes, absolutely, because it's, 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 it's a whole context of also mental health. Culturally, what, what, what kids or what young people are taught in school. So again, this comes back to the first point and the first suggestion mm. that if there's not a strong curricula on sexuality education, then it is going to be very confusing. And by very confusing, it's not that they are confused. It's mm. because they're learning, as you said, through porn and through misconceptions and myths around what is a healthy relationship and so on. Mm. So this is the confusion. They're not responsible for their confusion. 
they need more education and more clarity on what is a healthy relationship. Mm, where they may be saying, I, I don't like it and I wish he'd stop. Uh, but they don't view it as abuse, in other words, uh, because um, they're watching it happen on the Internet. Absolutely. How, how do you know what's wrong if you are not taught? So mm. you end up in situations that you didn't want to and you didn't know. So it, you, young people need to lo- learn from at very early stages what is a healthy relationship and what is mutuality and what is re- a respectful relationship. Yeah. Would you say most young women are disrespected? I'll say, if we look at statistics, we could say that uh, there is a a clear problem. And not only from statistics, as you said, that one in five young women suffered uh, an intimate relationship abuse. We spoke on the workshop, what are their key concerns? And they all raised this issue as as a key concern for them, because it is happening. Not only the statistics only echo the conversations that we had with young women throughout the year and on Saturday. That's half the population, though. You know, um, it's very hard to understand that that goes on all of the time. And once in a while we talk about it and then we move on. And then uh, another few weeks or a few months down the line, we're back talking about it. Uh, Maybe an incident happens uh, that makes us stop and think. And we say, well, it's long overdue that this stopped. Uh, But if it's such a widespread problem that it impacts half the population, uh, it's very hard to believe that there hasn't been any real change I- in recent years because this is not a, a, a new phenomenon. Uh, and uh, indeed, um, it's one that I think you've been saying that men have a, a role in trying to bring about an end. Absolutely. Everybody has a role to play. And it, it's about speaking. So we all have to do something about it. But I want to be uh, very clear. There's also a third national strategy launched this year and it puts a, uh, on the, from the government and it puts a lot of emphasis on prevention. So I think it's key that this uh, strategy is being implemented because, as you said, we need a real change and very quickly. I suppose something that it is happening or it gives me hope, I suppose, is that we are talking about it. Talking is certainly not enough. So this is why campaigns like we discussed on Saturday uh, on different approaches to consent, the bystander culture from UCC, the Dublin Great Crisis Centre, Women's Aid also having their own campaign, the Men's Development Network are having their own campaign. So they're all trying to work with young masculinities. They're working with uh, young women. So it is important that things are changing, but they're definitely not changing as fast as they should in such a horrific uh, topic. Okay. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> probably uh, where we should leave it and let people ponder on that uh, that half of uh, the population certainly half of our, our younger population are being subjected to such treatment uh, and thank you indeed for joining us this morning Ivana, Ivana oh, Thank you Thank you Ivana Juchik is uh, the Violence Against Women Coordinator with the National Women's Council of Ireland Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you know, Fine Gael held its Ordesh over the weekend and next month's Taoiseach, the Thánaiste, Leo Radker, and the leader of Fine Gael had a, a lot to say. Indeed, I think uh, he buoyed up the party uh, and uh, there was a great response to his leader's speech, promising to do a, an awful lot uh, when he takes over the reign as Taoiseach, uh, as we discussed earlier on with Ono Brin of Sinn Féin. Leo Radker is saying that there will be significant changes to the crisis 
or the emergency, if you prefer that there is in housing. Sinn Féin will be bringing this motion to the Dáil tomorrow, declaring uh, the housing crisis an emergency, a national emergency. Uh, but Leo Vratker, as Taoiseach, uh, told uh, Fine Gael that uh, there will be significant changes uh, and indeed progress in terms of tackling the many problems that there are in housing. Uh, I'm not sure, though, that he would be supportive of uh, the Sinn Féin policies. He, he certainly wouldn't be supportive of working with Sinn Féin. And he made that very clear. He said that uh, the work that Fine Gael is doing with Fianna Fáil and the Green Party in government is work that he, he's very pleased with and he'd be happy to work with those parties, but he, he's not inclined uh, to be of the belief that he could work with Sinn Féin in government. Delegates, we will not take lessons on our history from those who seek to rewrite it or deny it. Those who tried... Those who tried to destroy and undermine our state over the past hundred years were in a a minority. They were wrong then and they're wrong now. And those who denigrate and sneer at it while simultaneously wrapping themselves in the flag are also very much wrong. And delegates, we will never stop pointing that out. That's uh, the leader of Fine Gael, Leo Vradker, who had a, a lot to say in his leader's speech about Sinn Féin. We can't work with everyone and anyone. And coming into this campus today, someone asked me if I'd ever consider going into coalition with Sinn Féin. Well, I gave them a clear and unambiguous answer from all of us. No, no way, no chance. Not a hope. (laughs) Maybe after the next election, that uh, clip may be pulled out, uh, depending on how the numbers fall. And then you hear people talking about, well, in the national interest and all that stuff. Uh, Maybe not. Uh, but anyway, uh, the chances are, uh, uh, and he, he was unambiguous, uh, but the chances are you won't be hearing that uh, because Finnegale will hold its line uh, and uh, as put to Ono Brin earlier on in the programme, Finnegale believes that uh, Sinn Féin pursues nothing but populist policies. I believe Sinn Féin when they tell us who they are, an ultra-nationalist, radical left, populist, Euro-critical party and their policies will be a disaster for our country. Their shaky commitment, their shaky commitment to democracy and to free speech is extremely concerning, as is their ambiguity towards serious crime. But it's not primarily about their past. It's about what they might do in the future to our country. They're a high-tax, anti-trade, anti-jobs, anti-business party, which would wreck our economy. And they would take us away from the heart of the European Union where we belong, to the Eurosceptic periphery. Right. Um, this is the Finnegale Ordesh. Uh, that is the man who's about to become Taoiseach and run the country. It really was an awful lot of time, wasn't it, spent speaking about Sinn Féin? And so at a time of rising populism and nationalism around the world, sometimes of the left, sometimes of the right, they are Ireland's clearest manifestation of it. And all the hallmarks are there. Simple solutions to complex problems, elevating fear and anger over facts, conspiracy theories about elites and masses, and the demonization and bullying of opponents. And for this reason, the next election will be the most important in a generation. All right, well, we'll see how it pans out. That's uh, Leo Radker, leader of Fidegale, Thornish and soon-to-be 
Taoiseach speaking to his party's Ord Esh over the weekend. Now, thanks to our listener who's uh, texting us uh, this morning saying there's 70,000 refugees in Ireland now. We've done our bit, uh, says our caller. Thank you indeed. Uh, I think maybe... Keep that in mind if you're watching the news this evening of bombs falling and the shelling of the nuclear plant, the Sabrisha nuclear plant. And if that goes off, where are those people to go? I mean, it's a death sentence if that plant is struck. Uh, for many people in Ukraine, and let's hope that that doesn't happen. And we're not in a position where we're saying, God, we left those people to die. Uh, but that's uh, just one perspective on it. Uh, and indeed, uh, thank you for your call. The government, of course, has said that we will not be putting a cap on the amount of people coming into the country. Uh, Margaret has been in touch with us and she asks, uh, when it, it, is it enough? Uh, she said, I think we should take in as many people as possible, as is practicable. Is it realistic to take so many people into the country? She says she's been with her GP for 20 years. Never had a problem getting an appointment. Didn't feel well last week. Rang the GP surgery and was told they're not taking any appointments at all whatsoever. Uh, And that meant no appointments, uh, not just today, next week or in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, she asked, can I get one maybe towards the end of December? No, we're not taking any appointments at all. Uh, and she said, well, how does that work? How do people see the doctor? And she said, because we are so busy, the receptionist told her that you have to ring between 10 to 9 and 9 o'clock in the morning uh, because they always keep a few appointments free uh, and maybe uh, you'll be able to get to see a doctor that way. Uh, she says she can't ring the doctor between 10 to 9 and 9 because she's working. So what is she to do? if she wants to see a GP. Uh, And is that one of uh, the problems or one of the challenges uh, that were faced as a result of so many people coming into the country? Uh, And how uh, can you take uh, those problems on uh, and make sure that uh, we're all uh, living in this country safe and well? Uh, Paddy Duffy in touch with us as well. And he says, uh, pure desperation from Leo Vratker. Uh, talking about Sinn Féin. I take it, Paddy, for as long as uh, the Tánaiste did in his leader's speech over the weekend. uh, It certainly was uh, a lot of time and uh, no doubt uh, about uh, the campaign uh, that uh, Fine Gael uh, will be launching when the next general election comes and I think it'll be an election or a contest, if you like, between Sinn Féin and Fine Gael uh, and see who they end up in government with depending on who uh, comes out on top between the two parties. Anyway, thanks, Paddy, as always, uh, for taking the time to call us uh, today. Uh, Paul McKenna was in the control tower for us today. Maggie McGuire researched. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.